I don't know if you caught those lyrics. Death has no claim on me. Death has no claim on you because of the power of Jesus Christ. Man, we are about to have church in the room, okay? Hey, thanks a lot. You can have a seat. We're so happy that you've come. And man, I just felt the spirit of God in this room. Hope you do also. And uh, we're just happy to have you, man. Man, I am ready to preach tonight, okay? Uh, took a week off, did a little downtime. Uh, Neil knocked it out of the park last week. And uh, man, I am now ready for uh, two weeks of uh, fueled up passion in me. And I'm looking at some texts from some preacher buddy, buddies of mine just sent me texts praying for me tonight, so that just added 10 minutes right there. So, um, man, ain't nothing on TV tonight, so let's go. So I'm, I'm assuming that there's some, uh, some folks in the room, um, I happen to be one of those, but I know I'm not the only one, that in your uh, first week of this New Year's resolution, trying to get healthy. So there's probably some people in the room are there. You don't have to raise your hand, don't want to embarrass you, anything like that. Now, because of that, there's a little thing I like to dig out. I do this about every other year. I've done this before. It's a little thing. It's, a, it's an old famous workout diary that I hope will be an encouragement to anybody here who's just trying to get healthy this year. So uh, let me read it for you, and you can, um, you can see if it'll help you a little bit. Dear Diary, for my 40th birthday this year, my sweet wife purchased for me a week of personal training at a local health club. So I called the club to reserve my week, and they connected me to a 26-year-old aerobics instructor named Belinda. My, my wife was pleased to see my enthusiasm, and the club encouraged me to track my progress in a diary. Monday morning. Rolled out of bed at 6 a.m., a little early for me, but it was worth it when I arrived at the club to meet Belinda. She was a bit of a goddess. Blonde hair, dancing eyes, dazzling white teeth. She took my pulse after five minutes on the treadmill and was a bit alarmed to see the high number, but I'm pretty sure it was just because I was standing next to her. I did a few sit-ups and my stomach started to hurt, but that was probably because I was trying to hold my gut in for Belinda. This is going to be a fantastic week. Tuesday. I had to drink a whole pot of coffee to get out of door, but I finally made it to the club, and Belinda made me lie on my back and push an iron bar in the air. Tomorrow, she said, she's going to put weights on it. <laughs> my legs got a little wobbly on the treadmill, but Belinda told me I was doing great, and that made it all worthwhile. Wednesday. The only way I can brush my teeth is by placing my face on the toothbrush on the counter and moving my head back and forth. <laughs> Driving to the club was a little difficult because I can't move the steering wheel. Belinda was impatient with me today, saying my screaming was bothering the other club members. She told me I was making progress, but to be honest, I really wasn't listening to her because her voice is starting to get on my nerves. <laughs> Thursday. Belinda was waiting for me with her vampire teeth and her lips curled up in full snar. It wasn't my fault. I was a half hour late. It took me that long to tie my shoes. She had me on the rowing machine today. I'm pretty sure I sank. Friday. I hate Belinda more than I hate any other human being on the planet. 
Belinda wanted me to work on my triceps today. Hey, Belinda, I don't have triceps. And if you don't want dents in the floor, quit handing me the barbells. Saturday, Belinda sent a text wondering why I didn't show up today. I stayed home and watched television. I lacked the strength to use the remote, so I watched 11 straight hours of the Weather Channel. <laughs> I think I'm going to break up with the club. Sunday, I'm having the church van pick me up for services today so I can go and thank God this week is over. And I'll be praying that next year my wife will get me something more enjoyable, maybe a root canal or something like that. <laughs> Did you know that a diary like that, probably not as humorous, obviously, could be the same kind of concept about being a Christian? Because a lot of people know what it's like to start a journey of faith, but not everybody can end a journey of faith. And so if you had to write about that experience, it might be something like what we just read. And so we're going to do a series here in our church over the next few weeks that is a concept that comes up in the Bible a lot. You're going to learn that uh, a little bit today. And it's this concept that finishing is greater than starting. And the Bible teaches that over and over and over again. Now, starting a walk with God is good. There will be people in our church this weekend, because it's the first weekend of the year, probably right here in this service. And there will be people in every service who are starting a walk with God. It's a great time to do it. And if that's you, congratulations. You're awesome. You're on the right path. But not everybody will be able to finish that walk, to stay on that track, to hang in there and to make it the whole way, to keep in the track, to stay the course, to be in the gym spiritually. The theme of perseverance and endurance is mentioned more than 150 times in the Bible because God knew that humans would have a hard time sticking to the things that we start. See, he knew that about us. He knew that when he made us and when he saw how sin entered the world and what it did to us, he knew that our propensity would be that when we begin things, not everybody is able to finish them. And that includes our spiritual lives. And so you just kind of look around our world and everywhere you look, you find the concept that perseverance is a dying thing nowadays. If you're a college sports fan, you even see that today. If you recognize terms like the transfer portal, or if you recognize the NIL, which is a name image likeness thing that comes up in college sports, those things are nothing more than this. They are young kids who say, I'm done playing with this team because I want to go play with that team because they're going to pay me more, or their coach is going to yell at me like my coach does now, or I'm going to be able to play more in the game than I do now. And that's become a sweeping concept in college sports because college sports is teaching this. Y'all know I'm a college sports fan, but college sports is teaching this right here. We are now normalizing the lack of perseverance. That's the culture we're living in. And see, God knew that we'd struggle with that. He knew that. I can still remember the day that I came home and I had just asked Susan to marry me. 
We were young kids, and, and I asked her to marry me, and she said yes, and I couldn't wait to get home and tell my dad. I just had this thing about me that dad is going to be so proud of that. And so I come home. I still remember 107 Minnesota Avenue, Dadeville, Illinois, come busting in the door, and I can see my dad with my eyes closed right now. I can see him in his restroom, and he was shaving. He had shaving cream all over, and I came up behind him so you could see me in the mirror, and I said, she said yes, she said yes. And he turned around and looked at me and he said this, can you love the worst thing about her? And then he turned around and started shaving. And I remember as a young man, I thought, man, what is wrong with that dude? I thought I was going to get, you the man, Dave, you the man. But the old man knew something, that anybody can start. Can you finish? And that concept is such a big deal to God that he places it in his word over 150 times because he knows that when you start a walk with God, you will be tempted to back off on that walk all the time. And it can happen to you. And it could happen to me. And if you're honest, most people in this room, if you had an honest moment in you right now, you would start to remember there have been seasons in your life, maybe very short, maybe for some of you long seasons, where you were backpedaling in your faith, where you woke up one day and realized, you know what, I'm not near where I was with Jesus a year ago or two years ago or three months ago. And, and we start to realize that that can happen to everybody. There's a guy in the Bible by the name of Demas who knew about that. And if you've never heard of Demas in the Bible, don't feel bad because he's only mentioned three times. We almost know nothing at all about this dude other than one powerful point. The first time Demas is ever mentioned, the apostle Paul wrote about him. Uh, Paul was writing to a church in Colossae. We're gonna talk about that a little bit today. And he mentioned in the letter a friend of his, a good friend by the name of Demas. It's the first time it ever came up, and so he called him his good friend. At the same time Paul wrote Colossians, he also wrote another letter, uh, a letter called Philemon, a really short letter, and he mentioned Demas in that letter too at the same time, and here he called him a fellow worker. And so when you look at that, you think, man, I don't know who this Demas cat was, but man, he's in, it's happening for him. He is a good friend of the apostle, and he's a fellow worker in the kingdom of God. That's a dude that's got it happening. The third time he's mentioned by Paul is about six years later. And Paul's writing one of the last letters he ever wrote to Timothy. It's the second letter. And look what he said about Demas bringing him up third time. He is now a deserter. Something happened between here and here. Something happened. And what happened is that Demas was able to begin a walk with God, but then somewhere he got on a slippery slope that slowly but surely moved him away from his walk with Jesus Christ. And if that can happen to Demas, it can happen to you. And so we opened up the Bible and we said, let's spend some weekends here in January. It's probably a good idea that we're doing it in January because this is the beginning of the year, okay? And let's spend the weekends that we have in January and let's do a deep dive into some of those places. 
There's 150 of them in the Bible, and we'll show you four of them. And I want us to learn what God has to say about this idea that finishing is way better than just starting. Now, the first place we're going to start, the first one I want to do this weekend is in that letter that I just shared with you that Paul wrote to a church in the city of Colossae. In your Bible, it's called Colossians. It's a little letter. It's only four uh, chapters long. And in that letter, Paul brings up one of the most eye-opening, shocking statements of perseverance. And I can almost promise you, most of you have never seen it. But I want to show it to you today. Now, the first thing I want you to know about this thing is that Paul was writing to Christians. These were believers in Jesus in the city of Colossae. Let's look at uh, one of the early verses in the chapter, the second verse. He said, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So, so I want you to see this. He is writing to Christians. He's not writing to pagans. He's not writing to atheists. He's writing to people who know Jesus and have God in their life. He's writing to those people. Now, here's what we know about Colossae, what happened in that city and that church, is that church, that gathering of people in Colossae, there were some problems going on. In fact, the reason that Paul wrote this letter was to fix those problems. One of the things that was happening in the church in Colossae, and I've tried to put it in my words so that I can kind of teach it as, as good as I need to, and that is the depreciation of Jesus. This was happening in the church at Colossae to Christian people. Now look at the word depreciation. Think of it this way. You go buy a brand new car on the lot, and you drive it off the lot, and it is valued at whatever you pay for it. And then about a year later, you go and see the value of it, and it has depreciated. The value has lost its punch. And that was happening in that church with those Christian people in reference to Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly what's happening here. We think it looks like, when you read the letter, that there was some kind of teaching that got into the church. That's why you ought to be very careful when you ever choose a church to be a part of. You need to make sure that the teaching is the solid, authoritative word of God and only that. Am I right? Am I right? Okay. So a teaching had got in. And we don't exactly know what it is. We think it was some form of a teaching called Gnosticism. It seems that that leaked into the church. And what that teaching did was it taught about Jesus that, yes, he was a good man. Yes, he did crazy good things. Yes, he might even have been the savior of the world. But, dude, he was not the son of God. And so Jesus and his value and his punch began to lack a little bit, and the Christians in Colossae started to move a little away from Jesus. They were on a slippery slope where Jesus wasn't carrying the punch that he should in their life. Now stop right there. Stop right there and take a, a spiritual deep breath and be honest with yourself. You don't have to say this to anybody other than you privately. Just ask yourself, have you ever had a season in your life 
where the value of Jesus was going backwards to you. Where the importance of Jesus was not what it used to be. Have you ever had a moment in your life where there was this kind of backward movement in relation to your faith? And that's what was happening in Colossae. And so what Paul does is he tackles that in one of the most eye-opening passages about perseverance in the whole Bible of the 150 of them, this is the one that I said we're going to do it first. He began to shock them dead in their tracks with an amazing paragraph. The paragraph is three verses long. It's found in the first chapter. I want to show you one verse at a time, and you'll catch the point. It starts in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, and here's what he says. Now once, once, in fact that word uh, sometimes is even translated now before, okay? So you used to be, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now I want to put that into a diagram so you can kind of understand what he's talking about. He is reminding them that at a particular point in their life, this is who they used to be. So this is who you were Verse 21, alienated from God. That word means that God's in his room and you've chosen, dude, I don't want nothing to do with your room. That's alienated, separated from God. You are enemies of God. You're not together with God. You are rivals with God. Evil behavior, the things you did were tainted toward that which is wrong. And so what Paul is doing is he's taking these people back to a point in their life before Jesus was in their life. I call that my BC days before Christ. Anybody have any BC days, okay, before Jesus was a part of your life? And so what Paul does is he says, okay, do you remember this? Do you remember that? Now, if you just look at that for a second, just look at that diagram, and who in the room, who in the room right now would say, dude, that's what I want in my life. Ain't nobody going to say that. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants shut out from God. God sees you an enemy. You have evil behavior. Nobody wants that at all. But Paul says, everybody was there. Now, watch this, watch this. Paul then jumps in to the gospel. He says, even though we all were that, that's who we all used to be, even though God loves us so much that he doesn't want that to be our story. And so the gospel is that he sends Jesus who pays the penalty of all of that and automatically changes our status of how God views us. And so verse 21 then moves into verse 22. Look at the 22nd verse, let's look at it. But now, you see the difference? That's who you used to be, that's who you were. But now, now, he has reconciled you. God has made you right by Christ's physical body through death on the cross to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Now, let's take the 22nd verse, and let's diagram it, okay? 
Put it up here. The diagram is now, verse 22 says, but this is who you are, okay? Holy in God's sight. You know what that word means? Holy means the things that God puts apart from everything that is evil and bad. And we pick them up and they're different. These things are holy things because they're not part of the evil world. And when God looks at you, if this is you, watch this. God looks at you and you are holy in his sight. Watch this. There are no blemishes. That when God looks at you right now, there are no blemishes if you're a Christian. You ever see anybody, just be honest, ever see anybody got some stuff going and you're like, ooh, okay, God, none of that with you. No accusations. If somebody went to God right now and said, is there something you've been really wanting to deal with with Hastings and get him in the woodshed? Here's what God would say. Well, nothing that I can think of right now. No accusations. Now, let me ask you this question. Stay with me. Stay with me. I know it feels like we're in school, but hang in there, okay? Watch this. Which of those would you prefer to be your status? Somebody go, duh. Would somebody say that? Uh, who picks verse 21? Nobody picks verse 21. We all pick this. That's what we want, man. That's who we are as Christians. And right when Paul's got us at that point, right when he had the Colossian people, right there, man. Yeah, that's who we worship, man. This is who we are, man. Right in his eyes, holy. Paul then brings in the 23rd verse and knocks them completely off the couch. He takes the 23rd verse and blows them away, and I want to show you how he does it. Verse 23, let's look at it. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Now let's play with this. This is probably the part of this you've never known about. You saw highlighted the word if there. So this is who you used to be, and because of Jesus, this is who you are, if. Would a few of you just say that in the room with me? Say it, if, okay? Now, I'm going to get technical with you, but I don't want you to lose me. It's simple. I want you to stay with me. I want you to watch this, because this is crazy. The word if in the original Greek koine language that Paul wrote is the word ice. That's how you pronounce it, E-I-S. It's not I-C-E. E-I-S is the way it's written. And ice is a connecting word. It's used in the Bible to connect things together, and it's often translated if, okay? So what it does, it takes verses 21 and 22. That's who you used to be. That's who you are. If it connects to the verse 23. But what happens with this is that there is something else written there that you don't see in your English versions of the Bible. It's not in my English version of the Bible, unfortunately, because Paul wrote, ice geh. That's the actual words, ice geh, G-E, and it's pronounced geh. What in the world does geh mean? 
Ge is a word that is filtered throughout Scripture. And watch this. It is used when there is a topic, a concept, a word that the author wants to intensify, wants to really emphasize. So if you were to say right now, man, it was cold outside. It was kind of cold today, okay? Last year, we would have said this. It is cold, yeah, outside, right? Okay? I'm talking cold, yeah. And so when you see yeah, it just blows that word up. And so what the Apostle Paul did is who you used to be, is who you are, and who you are is yours if yeah. And so I want to suggest this. I want to suggest that he did not write if. He wrote this, if, and so will you do this with me? When I count to three, I want you to scream if as loud as you possibly can. One, two, three. Okay, that first time I asked you, that was ice. What you just said was ice, yeah. Y'all with me? Is anybody right now going, what in the world is this doofus even talking about? Everybody with me? Everybody here? So here's what Paul does. Paul does what they had no idea he was going to blow on them with this. That's who he used to be. Man, this is who you are. And remember, he's talking to people who are on a slippery slope away from Jesus. And he reminds them, this is all yours Holy in his sight, no blemish, no accusation. If it's conditional, it's all conditional. And so, graph the 23rd verse up there. It's conditional if you continue in your faith. That word continue means stay. It's conditional if you are established. That word refers to the foundation of a building. Strong, not moving. It is conditional if it is firm, rock, solid. It is conditional if it's not moved. What is he saying here? He's saying to Christians in Colossae, who are getting caught up in a concept where Jesus isn't carrying the weight in their life that he used to do and come out and he's saying, do you realize what you're playing with? This is who you were, verse 21. This is who you are, verse 22. But only if. And so if you find yourself on this slippery slope, and you're moving away from Jesus. The question is, do you revert back to verse 21? You see, friends, verse 22 is a gift to us. It is God's grace that moves us from enemies to friends with no accusation. It is a gift. And I love how the Message Bible, I know some of you read the Message Bible, which is kind of a a loose translation of the Bible. What the Message Bible does after verse 22 and before verse 23, look what the Message Bible puts it. 
You don't want to walk away from a gift like that. Is it important to finish the race? In more ways than Paul could ever say to you about that. Now, I want to tell you a couple things before I kind of send you off with some stuff. I want to tell you something that I do not know. I wish I did, but I don't know. And I'm going to tell you something I absolutely do know. Here's what I don't know. For you Bible knowledge people out there, um, some of you are just hoping I'll jump into this. Does that mean a person can lose their salvation? So verse 21, Jesus was not in their life. Verse 22, he's in their life. The grace of God changes the status of everything. And then they get on a slippery slope and they start backpedaling a little bit. Does that ever get to the point where they're back at verse 21 and they now are no longer saved? Here's the answer to that. I don't know. Thankfully, I'm not the one that has to make that call. That's not my call. Christians have been debating that question for 2,000 years. And if you've ever studied it, there are great arguments on both sides of that. And I am nowhere near going to be the guy who finally answers that for history. I, I, the answer is, I don't know. But it sure seems strange to me that God would put a paragraph like that in his word if there were at least not a rare possibility of it occurring. But I can't tell you definitely it will. I don't know. It just seems that it's possible. Now, here's what I do know. Because I've seen it with my own eyes a hundred times. The longer you're on the slide, the harder it is to come back. Can anybody in the room say amen to that? Last summer, um, Susan and I took our two uh, granddaughters that live here, we took them to a park. And um, they were getting on the slide to come down this, this, uh, this slide on this, this contraption. And, and the youngest of the granddaughters was kind of timid about it. And she got up and climbed up to the top of the, the slide and she got on the slide and she was kind of really scared about it. And she kind of eased down, you know, maybe six inches a foot or so. And she finally just freaked out and turned around and kind of struggled back up the slide and got off that thing. And about an hour later, she was starting to be a little bit more comfortable with it and had climbed it and got on the slide. And this time, although timid, she still kind of eked her way down. And she got about three-fourths way down the slide and freaked out again and turned around. And she could not get back up to the top. The longer you're on the slippery slope, the harder it will be for you ever to get back up. And so you know the answer? Stay off the slide. Stay off the slide. You stay off the slide, you don't ever have to worry. Do I go back to verse 21? It's never even an issue. Stay off the slide. The problem with that is we all have a propensity to get on the slide. And I'm going to be speaking this weekend to people in this room and probably a lot of people online that as you listen, you're realizing, dude, I'm, I'm on the slide. He wasn't who he used to be. This isn't as big a deal as it used to be for me. 
And so 150 times God warns us, stay away from that slide. And so I want to give you four things real quick that are indications that you are not on the slippery slope. And if these things ever lack in your life, it's because you're playing on the slide. Let me tell them to you real quick. Number one, a relationship with Jesus. And you think, well, that's pretty simple. No, I want you to think about this. What do you do with people you have a relationship with? My guess is you probably talk to them. If I have a relationship with Jesus, I talk to Jesus. Anybody know what that's called? Prayer. Prayer is a part of my life. And this isn't a one-way conversation. I listen when he talks to me. You know what that is? That's the Bible. And so prayer and the Bible are a part of my life. And right now, this minute, if you're listening to me and you're saying, Dave, man, prayer is just not an issue for me. And I don't know if I ever read the Bible. You know why? Because you're on the slide. And the longer you stay on that slide, the potential for disaster continues to grow. Let me give you another one. Not only relationship with Jesus, but the lordship of Jesus. We sang a song to open our service today that his way is better than my way. And so the lordship of Jesus means that he runs the show in my life, everything. I never get to the point where I say, okay, Jesus, you want that? I don't think so. I'm going to do this. And so if Jesus is the Lord of my life, his way is always better than my way, even if I don't like it, even if it's going to be hard for me, even if I disagree with it. The Lordship of Jesus means he's the king, he's the queen, I'm not. He runs it for my life. Let me share with you a third one, the worship of Jesus. I just want to say this. Let me, let me say it so I don't end up talking about it for an hour and a half. I'm going to say this clear as I am. I've never met a single person who maintained and grew in their faith without going to church on a regular, consistent basis. You quit going to church and you've jumped on the slide. There, I said it. That has to be a part of your life. Let me end with this, and that is the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus is the mission of my life. And so it's a good idea that you got a job, man. Get your job, take care of your family, find a job you enjoy. But listen, your job is not your life mission. Your life mission is not all the fun things we like to do in life. Man, our family loves it when we do this. I love it when I do that. That's fun for me. That's kind of my thing over there. Those things are all good. Those are not your life mission. Your life mission is advancing the beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world. I'm advancing his light. We talk about that here all the time. Now, if you look at that list right there, and you had to ask yourself, are these in my life? If they are not in your life, it's because, anybody know yet? You are on the slide. And so when you're on the slide, do you go from verse 22 to verse 21? I don't know. But I don't know why he would have put that in his word if it weren't a possibility. See, anybody can start a walk with God. Not everybody can finish it. And my challenge on this day is that you decide right now, I'm going to finish this thing. I have a little notebook in my office. 
And uh, in that notebook, it's a typed out document. In that notebook is every sermon that I will preach for the next year. And so every week I've got a, a notebook and it's got some thoughts about that particular sermon. And then I sit down every week, just like I did this week, and I open to that, that sermon and I write what is there. I write what I just presented to you. Now I keep that notebook because when I read things throughout the year or I experience things, when I see things, like, oh man, that'll fit there. I will go to that page and I will write that. And then when I get to that week, I'll, I'll remember that. So this week, I grab my notebook, and I'm going to get started and put the sermon together, open it up, and there at the top of this page is September the 26th, 2003, and I read what I wrote there, and I thought, ah, I had forgot that, and something happened to me on that day that I knew would apply to this weekend, and I wrote it down. And on that day, on September 26, I was on the elliptical machine at the gym my wife and I go to, trying to get rid of too much stuff that I had put in my stomach. So how about elliptical doing that? By the way, uh, this last week we had a lot of family um, holiday meals, like you probably did, and uh, on one of those, <laughs> on one of those meals, I had uh, our worship pastor Aquilabach, his daughter. Uh, four-year-old Ivy sitting next to me at one of the dinners, okay? And if you know Miss Ivy, man, she is out there and, I mean, you know, uh, very, very outgoing. And I'm sitting by her at a Christmas dinner. And she touches my belly and asks this, why do you eat so much? <laughs> That's a great question, Ivy. So, Back on September the 26th, I'm on an elliptical machine because I'm convinced I eat too much and I'm trying to get rid of it. Now, those of you in shape, you don't do this, but for us fat people, we have to watch something to take our mind off the fact that we're about to have a heart attack and die. And so I'll watch a movie on my phone or my iPad or something like that. And so on September the 26th, 2023, just, I don't know, three months ago, I am watching, I can remember this now, I'm watching an episode of the Chosen series, which was the story on that episode when Jesus turned water into wine. And so I'm on this elliptical machine. I get going and I punch it for 45 minutes. I'm going to do this 45 minutes. I start the episode and, oh yeah, this is a good one. And it is Jesus going to turn water into wine. And if you've ever seen The Chosen, man, they do a great job, okay? But they Hollywood it up a little bit, all right? So I'm watching this episode and I'm watching the time on my elliptical and I'm really into the movie, but I'm wondering, <laughs> is Jesus going to change this doggone water into wine before my 45 minutes is up? And so I'm going thinking, hurry up, Jesus, get to the miracle. I want to see the miracle. And I'm worried if we get to 45 minutes and I quit, I'm not going to see the miracle. And so the whole time I'm going, would you get to the point? Would you get to the point? Turn the water, turn the water. And we get right at 45 minutes and the elliptical turns off and Jesus hadn't done the miracle yet. And so I punched in 10 more minutes and made it through it and got to see the incredible miracle of water turned into wine. And I get in my car and I'm driving away and I, it, I mean, it just hit me of all the times I was tempted to quit or back up right before God was about to do his greatest work in me. 
stay off the doggone slide. Father, I'm grateful for the mercy and grace that is more than we could ever, ever talk about or understand. It was fun to sing about it tonight. Would you help us with a staying power, a persevering power? Would you help us with that so that we won't miss the incredible things that you want to do in our life. And I don't know who needed that this weekend, but I know a lot of people probably did. And may that have been the motivation for them to be strong with you and stay with you because finishing is greater than starting. I pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.